Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church this morning. So good to be here together. And welcome, Josh. Please come and join me. Um, it is exciting. My name's Ross. This is Josh. How are you going this morning, Josh? I'm good, thanks. Now, I want to talk to you this morning because you're a part of our mission team here at Southside who run the Alpha course. Tell us what's so good about Alpha. Um, well, it's just a really friendly place. Uh, sit and have a coffee and have a chat and get to talk about Jesus and find out what the big deal is. And... Uh, Yes, yeah, really good place to ask questions as well. It is sounding really friendly, and the people who go there really love it, uh, whether they've got a church background or not. Uh, I hear good things. But today we're talking about inviting people because it's coming up in just a couple of weeks, isn't it? It is. So, what's your one tip inviting somebody to the Alpha course? One tip probably be if you can, invite them. Like, don't just give them the invite and say, you know, have a good time. Like, actually go with them and, and yeah. Go with them, make it, make it a thing you can do together and much yeah. more likely to, to show up if that's the case. So kind of like what we saw in the video. Exactly. It's like, hey, I'm going to this. Do you want to come with me is uh, a great way. Yeah, friendship. Thanks for that. So if you're going to the Alpha course, look for Josh. He'll be there. Also, Josh, this year you're leading a growth group. Uh, how'd that go this week? Uh, it was really good. I, w- I was very nervous for my first time, but it was great. Um, there was a lot of newcomers as well. So yeah, it was just really good to see the group grow and have some new voices there. So. Yeah, so it was a bit of a mixture, your group of new and old, which was really exciting. Which we're a church here at Southside about making and growing disciples. That's why we're so passionate about the Alpha Course as a way of helping people realise who Jesus is and discover him for themselves in, in a way that they can uh, know what, what Christianity is truly all about. That's the making disciples. The growing disciples in, is through growth groups. And as if you're a part of one, you'll know they've just kicked off for the year but just a reminder if you want to be a part of one come and talk to me uh we try and just try to try and balance the groups out and just make sure there's a healthy culture there which involves a conversation so if you want to be part of a growth group uh come and talk to me uh if you're new or visiting and just checking out Southside, is this a place i can call home next week we're actually having a newcomers morning tea so after the service uh up the stairs we're just going to spend an hour or so just getting to know you Uh, hearing the story about Southside and just, is this the place to call home? So it's not like a membership course or anything. It's just a, hey, let's just taste and see. Uh, So that's next week. If you're around next week, newcomers morning tea straight after the service, which is cool. We've got something really special happening this morning too, which is a baptism. So I want to invite Ben up. Ben's the birthday boy this morning. So uh, welcome, Ben. Thanks, Ross. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you telling everyone about that. It's good. And I appreciate the present that you've got me as well, Ross. Hey, this morning we're going to do a baptism for Thea, as has already been mentioned, which is super exciting. And it is a moment for us at a church that, uh, at our church, we love baptisms. We love to spend this moment together celebrating who God is and our family together. But we want to ask a couple of questions first and foremost this morning, which is firstly, why baptism? And then secondly, why a baby? Those are the two questions that we're asking this morning. And the first thing we want to note is that what's happening here today 
is nothing particularly special. I mean, it is special on the one hand, but this baptism doesn't save. Okay, so sometimes people think that if you get your kid baptized, then it's going to guarantee that they're saved. But although this water might make Thea cry, hopefully it doesn't, it's not going to save her. So that's the first thing. The second thing to note, too, is it doesn't guarantee anything. As we baptize her, you know, it's not about getting the water exactly at the perfect temperature and me to spread it perfectly across her head. That doesn't guarantee anything. Now, it doesn't save, it doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, This is just a moment for us to celebrate something together. So let's ask the question, why baptism then? If it doesn't save, if it doesn't guarantee, what does it do? Well, there's a couple of things. So firstly, this morning, baptism is kind of like a wedding ring. Okay, so if you think about the last wedding you've gone to, chances are if they weren't super trendy, they would have given each other a wedding ring. Okay, I know that maybe they're going out of fashion, but wedding rings, and uh, they're, they're still kind of in, they're still good because they're a visible sign of something, right? So you get up on stage, you make promises to each other, a relational commitment to each other, and then you give each other a wedding ring. And that's a visible sign of what you might call a covenant. Now, covenants are kind of a a little bit of a funny word, but essentially it just means relational promises. That's what a wedding ring does. It's a visible sign of the relational promises that a couple has made together. Now, baptism is kind of like that. It's the visible sign. It's a visible sign of the relational promises that God has given us, that God is a faithful God, and that He will save those who put their trust in Him. So that's why baptism. We're going to have a visible sign this morning of that. But then there's the next question. Well, why a baby? Why babies? Because with adults, it makes sense, and you can see it a little bit more clearly. An adult puts their trust in Jesus, so there's the visible sign. But why a baby? Well, this is uh, something that we get right throughout the Bible, that our God loves children. Children have a special place in God's heart, and we see this from the very beginning. In Genesis, we get this pattern. See, God picks this guy called Abraham. He chooses to pour his affection upon Abraham, But it's super interesting because when he does that, it's not just like, Abraham, you're saved and the rest of your family can, you know, stick it. It's to Abraham and his children and their children. It's about the household. And so God chooses to save Abraham and his household. Then as you follow the pattern throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the Israelites, they circumcise their children on the eighth day before they can make a decision, before they can say anything. And that is a visible sign that they belong to the community. It's the household. Then this pattern, you see this continue in the New Testament. When Jesus rocks up, he shows that children have a place in God's heart. And it's beautiful because in the culture, children were in the way. You know, children were just kind of in the way, get rid of the children. The disciples at one point even rebuke Jesus. But he says, no, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Then in Acts, The final moment you get this, baptisms happen in Acts, and a number of times we see baptisms aren't just for the people who come and believe the adults, it's for the households. And so what we see right throughout the Bible is this picture that God cares about families and households, and it's beautiful. So today, the reason we're doing this is to celebrate God's covenantal love to His people and to their children and their children. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask uh, Jeff and Kelly to come up. But today, you can see, when you bring all of this together, you can see this is a covenantal sign of God, a visible sign of their faith and their households and our church. And so it's a great joy and a pleasure to celebrate this this morning, what this sign represents, that God's faithful, that Thea is a part of a household that believes in Jesus, that she belongs to a church like ours, and that our God loves and values children. 
So that's why baptism and that's why children. And so, Jeff and Kelly, you can come up on stage. I'm going to invite them and if we can, let's give them some encouragement as they come up on stage. And I'm going to ask you to come right around the other side. For our live stream viewers at home, hello, welcome. Awesome. Hey, guys. <laughs> now, first and foremost, uh, we just... Hey, Thea. This might be the smiliest baby we've ever seen. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting a bit carried away there. Okay, so first and foremost, though, we want to ask you a question. Actually, let's... If you can keep moving over, sorry. Let's ask you a first question um, for you guys, followers of Jesus. So why do you guys follow Jesus? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so Kel and I believe in Jesus. We believe uh, we're sinful, and I've got to hold this girl. I should be right. Um, and we're in need of a saviour, and we can't save ourselves. And we believe Jesus was real. Um, he died, and he came. And he rose again, and from that as well, in a we try to live. If I, I'll pass her. Classic dads, eh? Um, yeah, try to live a response, our lives a, res a response to what he's done. Yeah. So, yeah, nice. That's good. And this morning, I should just say too, first and foremost, it's Jeff's birthday as well. Just wanted to get that out there too. Thank you. I look forward to the present <laughs> Ross got me as well, yeah, so yeah. wherever he is. Yeah, good. Um, okay, so the next question we want to ask is why baptism then? For you guys, why baptism? Um, yeah, as Jeff said, we love Jesus and we want to live in response to the love that he's shown us and I think we want to raise the, uh, um, yeah, I guess in a home and in a family where Jesus is present and the centre of our lives and baptism, I think for us is a way to declare that publicly and just declare in front of everyone and in front of God that we're going to commit to that and commit to loving Jesus and hopefully see her um, come to know Jesus and come to know him as her Lord and Saviour when she grows up. Um, and yeah, so just committing to that um, today. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's so good. Thanks for sharing. So in a moment, we're going to make some promises where today you've shared your part of the story. So you're going to make some promises about raising Thea. And then as a church and as family and friends of you guys, we're going to make some promises too to help you in this journey. But we're going to pray for you guys first and foremost. So is there anything particularly in terms of the parenting journey that I can pray for you guys? Um, yeah, I guess pray for Thea that she'll come to know Jesus as her Lord and Saviour. Uh, I think in that as well. Yeah, praying for Kel and I that our relationship will uh, grow stronger, both for each other, but with a yeah, deeper and richer knowledge of, of God and be able to kind of raise her in a, in a godly family in a, yeah, in a way that's worthy to Jesus, I guess. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, let's pray for Jeff and Kelly now, and then we'll make these promises. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jeff and Kelly. Thank you for their faith in you. Thank you for uh, today that they've made this decision to come and baptize Thea uh, for the heart that they have for her. Lord, we pray that you would continue to help them in this journey of parenting. We pray that you would help them love each other, that they would have uh, the ability to continue to lay down their life for one another as they raise Thea. We pray Thea would be able to grow up and see parents who love you and who are modeling that. We pray for grace and for strength in this too. And we pray, of course, for Thea in this journey, that as she sees her parents' faith, that it would impact her in a deep and amazing way. And so, God, we pray for this for them in this journey, not just today, but for the rest of their parenting journey, that you would continue to give them grace and the ability to do this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so we're going to make some promises. You guys are going to make some promises first and foremost. And then uh, as a church, we're going to stand and make a promise too to Jeff and Kelly. Uh, But let's start with you guys first and foremost. So the first question, do you trust in Jesus as your Savior and serve Him faithfully as your Lord? We do. Good answer. Do you bring Thea to uh, be baptized with the prayer that she will come to faith in God by trusting Jesus as her Savior and accepting Him as her own Lord? We do. Do you promise to teach Thea to trust in the Lord Jesus and rely on His death and resurrection to be forgiven and new life? We do. Good job. All right, we're going to ask church if you want to stand up, or family and friends, if you want to stand up and make a promise here. The answer to this is we do. Do you promise to support Jeff and Kelly as they teach Thea about Jesus and set a faithful example of godliness and to encourage her to grow in faith and in the love of Jesus Christ? Awesome. Thanks. You can have a seat. All right, let's do this. Now, we've agreed that they would continue to hold Thea in this. If you know me, I'm very clumsy, and we don't want that to happen this morning. So, Thea June Waringa, I baptize you into the church of Jesus Christ in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Let's pray for Thea now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy of children. Thank you so much for Thea. What a gift she is to our world. Father, we pray for her that she would grow up to know and love you. We pray more than anything else, above everything else, that she would see Jesus as beautiful and wonderful. Father, we pray for this journey now, that this would be another step in her journey of following you. And we pray that here at Southside too, Lord, that we would be able to support her and love her and watch her grow in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Well done. All right, let's, let's celebrate this together again. Awesome. Well, we are about to have a break now in our service where our kids can go to Kids Church in Christ. But let me first just explain where they will go. So if they're three and up to grade one, there's through this door into the cube. From grade one to grade six, through that door downstairs, you'll see where they're going. Crash age zero to three is upstairs. Follow the hordes up there. There's also a parents' room at the back and toilets around the corner. That's my announcements for you. And we're going to have a break now and be back in a moment. We're just uh, on a journey through the um, meals with Jesus uh, through the Gospel of Luke. And we're meeting a whole bunch of people who have met Jesus. And we're just learning about they're real people with real questions and real issues in life that we actually have a lot in common with. Uh, The first guy we met was a guy called Levi. He was a tax collector. He was on the outer that Jesus went and pursued. And Levi just dropped everything to follow Jesus. He repented. He turned his life around. The second one last week was a, um, a woman, we don't know her name, but she was um, known in the community as a sinner. And she expressed like an outpouring of emotion and appreciation because Jesus offered her true life. I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to pray for us as a church family, just in relation to these stories we've been hearing about these people who meet Jesus and that God would reveal himself to us in a way that we can see him clearly like they did as well. So I invite you now to please pray with me. Dear Father God, we just thank you for being real. We thank you for showing yourself to us, 
not only in the life of Jesus, uh, who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, but even today through your word, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, through the way you are at work in our lives. Well, we thank you. And Lord, we confess to you that often we get too busy in life, too caught up with our own issues to stop and look to you. But Lord, we pray that you'd reveal yourself to us like the way Jesus did to Levi on the street in the middle of a busy day that Jesus called him to follow him and Levi dropped everything. He repented. He left his old life behind and turned to follow you. Lord, in our journey, we know we can't take you half-hearted. Help us to see what we need to let go of. Help us to see what we need to leave behind so we can follow you sincerely. And Lord, like the sinful woman who fell at your feet, uh, cried over Jesus' feet, poured expensive fu- perfume over his feet, in a, an expression of uh, as you as your, her Lord and Saviour. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continually come to you, to the foot of the cross, knowing that you have dealt with our sin and you don't push us away like sinners, but because you've died for our sin, you accept us into the family. Lord, help us to have hearts that aren't full of pride and think we're good enough, religious enough, but help us to see that we too are sinners who need a saviour and that we can fall at your feet, not being pushed away, but accepted and loved. Lord, help us to be a church family, a church community here who, who surrounds ourselves with Jesus, that we fall at your feet, that we show our community here on the south side of Brisbane that we aren't a church full of pride and arrogance and self-righteousness, but we are only here because of the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be a witness in this place, that you be working in our lives as individuals, but us as a church, Lord, that your spirit will be leading us to see many people to come to know you, trust in you, and find life in you, true life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a few moments, Ben's going to be uh, walking us through our next story about meals with Jesus. And this is a big meal. It is in Luke chapter 9. And I'm going to be reading from verse 10. If you've got your Bible there or it'll be on the screen. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he looked at them, with, uh, then he took them with him and they withdrew themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. over. Thanks, Ben.
Thanks, Ross. All right, we're going to pray again uh, that God would help us understand this and then we'll get into this passage. Let's pray again. God, we pray now that whatever things have been crowding our heart over the last little while, whatever thoughts are distracting us, whatever we brought to the table this morning, Father, we pray that for the next little bit that we'd be able to leave it behind and hear from you. Father, this morning that you'd speak to us and that you'd change us and that you'd comfort us and that you would do a work among us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what kind of life can we expect if we follow Jesus? You know, it's an important question to ask whether you don't follow Jesus or that you do. What's ahead in store for us? Now, depending where you look, you're going to get a different answer to this. You know, you can look around. Lots of people give you the impression that the life following Jesus is going to be different. And this week, I got one of these impressions. It was on an account on Instagram that's been around for a little while called Preachers and Sneakers. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's basically an account on Instagram that posts photos of preachers in really expensive shoes. Now, it's gotten a big following. There's like 250,000 people watching that. And then the little brother was born trying to get fame as well called Prophets and Watches. This one for me is a little bit more interesting because it's preachers in really expensive watches. Now, this week, as I was looking at these accounts, and I've I got to admit, I wasn't on there for too long, maybe, maybe just a minute. But what happens is, as you're looking at picture after picture, usually of good-looking pastor after good-looking pastor with, you know, their hair done and you can tell they work out and have a nice rig. You can tell they look good and then they're in amazing clothes. The impression that it gives you is that following Jesus is luxurious and easy. Now, I know that that's social media, right? It gives you the best pictures of people's lives. It's not reality, but this is the impression that it gives you. And so as I was looking at this this week, I thought it's worth actually spending some time asking, is this, is this a good expectation for us? You know, is this what lies ahead of us, that we can expect luxury, nice shoes, a good watch, an easy life? And if it's not, what is the life that we can expect? What does God say about the life for someone who follows Jesus? Well, this morning, this is where we're going to go as we open up this passage and have a look. And we're going to see in this passage that we're going to see two things, right? Two things that we see in this journey. And the first one is that there is good on offer for those who follow Jesus. That's the first thing. So let's have a look at this because we pick it up in chapter 9, verse 10, where it says this. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So what kind of life can we expect? Well, the first thing we see is that it's good. And we see this because of the goodness of Jesus that he offers those who follow him. Now, the setting here is important. The disciples earlier on in chapter 9 went on a mission trip. They've come back from that mission trip, and Jesus has taken them to Bethsaida, which is like this sleepy little town by the sea. You know, I think of Kingscliff. That's kind of the space that I go to. So picture you're going away to rest at Kingscliff. And then crowds get news of where Jesus is going. And we hear later on there's about 5,000 men, which if you include the women and children, is about 15,000 people on the safe side who have just gone, we'll go there as well. Okay, so this is the scene that we've got, the setting, the quiet weekender by the sea has been interrupted by 15,000 people. 
So how is Jesus going to react to this? What's his reaction going to be in this moment? Because if it's any of us, we're annoyed by that. You know, I'm frustrated by that. I'm telling those crowds to go back home. But what does Jesus do? Well, here, he does three things. And the three things we see that he does are all good. Okay, so firstly, he welcomes them. Right? He welcomes these crowds. Now, again, you think of the scenario going for a quiet weekender and the 15,000 people rock up. It's amazing that Jesus welcomes them. You know, again, it shows us the heart of Jesus that he loves to welcome people into his kingdom. I mean, Ross mentioned it before. We've seen it in this series that our God loves welcoming people that no one would expect, whether it was Levi or the sinful woman or a crowd of 15,000. And again, we're seeing the heart of God. God loves to welcome people. And it's good that he does. It's good for the crowd that he welcomes them. Then he speaks about the kingdom. Okay, that's the second thing that he does, and speaking about the kingdom is good. Now, how is that good? You know, what what does the kingdom mean, and how is speaking about the kingdom good? Well, uh, context helps us a little bit. So, in that day, they were living under the kings of Rome, and the Roman rule was often oppressive and authoritative and in some forms abusive. And so, these people were living in a kingdom that was harsh, And so these people, Israelites, the God's people from the Old Testament, they were longing for a king who would come and bring in God's kingdom. They were looking forward to a day when God would rule and reign and bring his peaceful, powerful rule in. And so the fact that Jesus rocks up speaking about this is good. This is good news. You know, it's the news that if you're living under oppression, it won't last forever. If you're living as a captive, that one day it will be over. Jesus speaking about the kingdom is good. See, welcoming them them is good. Speaking about the kingdom is good. And then, of course, healing them. The third thing Jesus does, that's good. You know, we, many of us, have been sick in the last couple of months. And it's not until you're sick that you uh, realize how much you took your health for granted. And then when you got better, it felt better, right? We loved it again, getting our health back. Some of us feel the experience of sickness where we won't get better. And we feel that day in, day out, Jesus rocks up and he instantly makes people's lives better. You know, it's beautiful. 15,000 people, anyone who's sick in that crowd, Jesus heals. And so, so you see, welcoming him, good. Speaking about the kingdom, it's good. Healing them is good. But what about for us? You know, as we read this, how is this good for us? Because we're not there in Bethsaida. We're not experiencing this for ourselves. Why is this good? Well, the reason this is good is because what Jesus is doing here is giving a taste of the kingdom. Or you could say like this, he's giving them a sample of the kingdom. So it's kind of like this, in our house, Elizabeth, my wife, loves Mecca. Okay, now you might like Mecca as well. It's a skincare range at Garden City that you can go in. And Mecca have this thing where if you're a member, they have this genius thing where if you're a member and you spend enough money, you get a gift, It's called, I think, a beauty loop box. And whenever you get that, it's exciting. Now, it's genius, because this week we got a beauty loop box in our house, and there was excitement around, you know, people, nerves in the air, what's in this present? And every time you open it up, it's just samples. In fact, this week, the sample was the smallest vial I have ever seen. It reminded me of one of those Woolworths toys. Um, it, it, smallest vial you've ever seen of like face serum 
whatever that is, and literally you got three drops of it out of that vial to put on your face, I guess. Now, the, the samples, if they're good, here's what they do. They're not enough for you to realize that it's enough. You don't have to go back and buy it. It's just enough to see that it's good, but it's also only enough to, to realize that you want more of it. Right? That's a good sample. This is kind of what Jesus is doing with the kingdom. He's giving people a sample of the kingdom. Right? This isn't the fullness of the kingdom, but it is a taste of what it will be like. And the reality here is Jesus is giving us a taste of what the kingdom of God will be like, what our future will be. This is a good taste, a good sample, because he's showing us that we have a future hope of, of glory, heaven, where God will welcome people. You see why that's a good taste? Because we've got this picture in heaven where our God's going to have open arms welcoming people in. I love this picture, because if you've ever experienced this moment in life where you didn't feel welcomed, we have this picture where God will welcome us in. Then we get this, this picture of the taste, the sample of the king ruling in peace and power. Right? Where, where we won't live under authoritative rule or where people around the world won't live under the oppression and the rule of their governments that are pushing them down, but, but rather in the kingdom of heaven we will have peace and it will be good and it will allow us to flourish. And then healing. This is the taste that we can look forward to, the picture where no longer will sickness bring us down, no longer will there be suffering around because our God will heal us with no chance of getting sick again. You see why this is a good sample? It leaves us for longing for something more. It's good. It's so good. And so, so we can see that the life that we can expect in following Jesus, there is something good on offer. Now, this does have present implications for us, knowing our future. Of course it does. But it also gives us something good to look forward to. A picture, welcomed home, a king that rules in peace, healing from all of our sickness. It's going to be good. Now, as we keep reading, we want to ask this question, okay, is it just good? Is it good full stop? You know, some people like to claim that it's good full stop. If you follow Jesus, it's going to be just good. You know, get your nice shoes. If you follow Jesus hard enough, you can get that watch you really want. You know, people like to claim that, you know, you can have the health and wealth and prosperity, everything that you want in life. You can have it if you believe. And the implication that they give us in this picture or idea is that whenever you're faced with challenges in your life, it's from the devil or it's from sin. So cast the devil away or get rid of the sin and your life will be restored to goodness again. Now, the, the problem with that idea is when you read the Bible, and if you see the Bible and look at it close enough, you begin to see that it's not just good full stop. That's not the end of the story. In fact, as we're about to see, it is good, but we see it's not easy. And we see this as we walk through the journey with the disciples. So let's, let's go on the journey with the disciples, because in verse, 13, they, uh, verse 12, sorry, they begin to speak. Verse 12, they say this, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Now, I do empathize with the disciples. You know, again, if you think about what they've been on mission journey and then taken to a quiet weekender by the sea, interrupted by 15,000 people, it's an intense day. And they do get to see the goodness of Jesus in action but it's a big day for them. 
And I love that as soon as they can, they take the opportunity to say to Jesus, dismiss the crowds. You know, it reads like the 12 gather together to get enough like courage up to go and speak to Jesus. And they go and they kind of realize their moment. If we say now, send the crowds home because of food, then Jesus will listen to us. You know, just the real human reality of that. Send the crowds away for them so they can get food. You know, it's not about us. Definitely not, like, we wish the crowds could stay all night, but no, send them away for them. This is about the crowds. What's Jesus going to say to them? What's his reaction going to be? Because they're feeling the tiredness, the exhaustion, the moment of it all. Send the crowds away. How does Jesus respond? He says this in verse 13. You give them something to eat. Now, the, the language there is forceful. It's like literally looking up, saying, you feed them. And you just like, you, you go on this journey with the disciples, and it doesn't quite make sense. You know, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're exhausted. they've been feeling the sting, the, the weight of the day. They're trying to dismiss the crowds. Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. That doesn't make any sense, right? And if you're a disciple, of course that doesn't make sense. And if we're there with them, we're saying to Jesus, that's, that's crazy, like, even if the 15,000 went and got their own food and came back in this small town, that wouldn't work. How are we going to do that as 12 of us? We can't do it, which is basically what they say. They say this. They say, we, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all the crowds, but that's, you know, that'd cost a year's wage, essentially. We can't do it. Their backs are against the wall. They don't have the resources or the capacity or the ability to do what Jesus is asking them to do. Now, let's just hit pause there for a moment and take a step out of this, right? Because everything we've seen so far in this story is good. You know, even earlier on, them going on the mission journey, healing people, casting demons out, it's all good. And then they get to this moment where they see Jesus do this, and that's good as well. But here, the tone shifts a little bit, doesn't it? It sort of turns a bit from good to difficult and, and challenging. But there's a really obvious question that I think needs to be asked here. Who is it that's making their life harder? Who is it that's making the disciples' life more difficult? See, it's not, it's not the devil. You know, some people say that when, when life gets hard, it's because the devil's making your life harder. But here in the moment, it's not the devil that's making their life harder. And, and sometimes in life, when we're faced with challenges, people say sin. Sin is what's caused it. Maybe it's your own sin that you're not aware of or someone else's sin, but sin here hasn't caused this challenge. No, it's not sin that made the crowds hungry. Who is it that forced them, caused them to feel the challenge in this moment? It's Jesus. Jesus is making their life harder. Jesus is asking them to do something they can't do. They don't have the resources to do this. They don't have the capacity to do this, the ability to do this. Their backs are against the wall in this moment. So why is Jesus challenging them in this way? Why is Jesus pushing them to do something they can't do? Well, it's because of what we're about to see. Jesus is pushing them into a deeper dependence on him. They can't, but he's about to show us that he can through them. Notice in the next few verses how we see the disciples involved in this. So he says, you feed them. They answer, we can't do it. And then verse uh, 14, mid verse 14, he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. 
The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, to be sure, we are seeing something here amazing about Jesus. You know, he's doing something only God can do. He's showing his power and his love. You know, he didn't have to feed the crowds. He could have sent them home. He didn't have to do this. And yet, he does something miraculous that only God could do. Jesus is showing he is God, and he loves this people. We're also getting a sample again of what the kingdom will be like. The kingdom of heaven will be a place of abundance, not scarcity. There'll be abundance where we will have everything that we need. So that's true. We see that about Jesus, but it's just so striking how he uses the disciples here. He didn't need to challenge them. Jesus could have fed them in a click of his fingers. He could have fed them like that. He could have made plates appear in front of them and food appear on the plates. But he challenged them to do something they couldn't do. Then he involved them. He got them to spread the groups out. He then gave the food to them, and then he got them to collect the food after so that there were 12 baskets, one for each of the disciples to do whatever they want with that. He involved the disciples in this. Now, why did he involve the disciples like this? Why did he do this when he didn't have to? Well, he's showing them. There are moments when you follow Jesus that you are pushed back against the wall without the resources or capacity or ability where you feel like you can't, but where Jesus and his presence and his power can, but he's going to do it through you. This moment here is creating in them a deepening dependence on Jesus. He's showing them the life that follows Jesus. It's good, but it's not easy. And yet in moments of difficulty, we are being called to trust in Jesus. So you see, the life that follows Jesus is good, but it's not easy. Now let's think about what this means for us. What does it mean for us practically day to day to live with this reality of good, not easy. How do we live with this reality? Well, there's two things I think that's worth thinking about in terms of the practical application of this. So firstly, it's to do with this idea of good. I think we need to remember there's good. You know, there's good awaiting us. I mean, we've had a pretty difficult couple of years, all of us in different ways. Maybe this week has been difficult for us in many different ways. And the human inkling within us, the human temptation is to think that what's in front of us is all that there is. We have to remember and remind our souls that there is something good for us. There is a, a picture of the kingdom of God that's going to be brought in fullness where we will be welcomed by our God. Where he will speak and rule his kingdom in great peace and power and we will flourish and where there will be full healing. This is our future. It is good. Let's hold on to this. Let's remember this. Let's remind ourselves of this truth. But then secondly, if that's the first, in light of it being good, the second thing we've got to remember is when life is not easy. And sometimes we find ourselves in those moments, God is inviting us to a deeper dependence on Him. You see, I love this passage that the disciples, they're not asking if they trust in Jesus for their eternity. Did you notice that? Like it's not... Do you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You know, almost what we did before in the baptism. This is about trust in the present moment. 
Do you trust in Jesus when they've got their backs against the wall, they don't have the capacity, the resources, the ability, when you say to yourself or say out loud, I can't do it? Are you trusting Jesus then? You know, it's so helpful because how many of us feel that? You know, it's a human experience to feel that day in, day out, where we just feel like we can't do it. And we all feel that. Some of us feel that this morning getting to church. It was just this moment for us where we feel like, I just can't. You know, you can think about it in lots of different areas in your life. Again, thinking about the baptism. Parenting is a moment where we feel that. You know, it's a, what, hour-by-hour feeling for parents sometimes. You know, where we just feel like backs against the wall. I don't have the resources to keep doing this. I can't do another day. I can't do another night. I can't do another fight. I can't have another tantrum. I can't convince my kids to go to school again tomorrow. I can't get them to church on time. I can't help my kids begin to realize the responsibilities that they have as growing up. I can't do it. Or maybe it's with work or study. We feel this often where we just feel like, I can't do it anymore. I can't deal with the stress. I don't enjoy turning up anymore. I can't deal with the pressure of study the day-in, day-out pressure that I'm putting on myself, the people around me are putting on me, I can't do it anymore. I don't have the ability to do it. With relationships, we can feel this. You know, many of us might have had a rough week in our relationships or a rough month, and we just feel like at the moment we just can't. Or it's the relationship we don't have. And it's the feeling, I I can't. It's, It's too difficult to keep going in this. I'm too alone, I'm too tired, I can't keep going. All sorts of areas in life we feel this. It can even be at church. You know, serving, I can't keep serving. Or mission, I know we're talking about Alpha over the last couple of weeks, and sometimes with mission it feels like that, doesn't it? Like sometimes it's just, we know what we've got to do, we know we've got the people in our life to invite and speak to about Jesus, but it just feels like I'm too tired for this, and I can't do it right now. This feeling is a a normal feeling for us. Backs against the wall, no resources, no capacity, no ability, I just can't do it. Now, psychologists often talk about how in moments of challenges or difficulty, we find ourselves doing one of two things, both of them unhealthy. We fight or flight. I don't know if you've, you might have heard this before. So you fight it, you get angry. Maybe you raise your voice. Maybe that's the way that you deal with it or you fight against it, you push back against the idea, or you get defensive, you know, defensive in that moment. How dare you challenge me? Sometimes we, if we're not fighters, maybe we fly it, maybe we flee from it, we are bottlers and we keep it inside, or we distract ourselves. We look at our phone and try and think, pretend that the thing doesn't exist anymore. Maybe you're a combination when you think about the challenges that you face in your life. So so often when difficulty comes up, it's fight or flight. But how do we face our challenges? How do we deal with that? Because it's interesting, you know, when I think about my difficult moments, so often I cry out to God and it's fight or flight. It's, God, how dare you put me in this situation? Or God, can you just get me out of this challenge? But how do we face it? How do we face our difficulty? Well, I think what we see in this passage through what the disciples are going through, is the reality that sometimes in life, God is putting the challenge there in front of us. 
And in that moment, He's inviting us into a deepening dependence on Him. Now, let's be clear, we're not talking about sin, okay? We're not talking about sin here, or abuse, or things like that. But there are moments in life where we are facing challenges that it's not the devil, and it's not our own sin, or someone else's sin, but it's God inviting us into a deepening dependence on Him. Well, we find ourselves going, I can't, but Jesus says, I'm here and I'm going to through you. Now, how does this work? How does this look like practically? Because sometimes it's hard to know that. Well, I think there's a pattern here that we get from the disciples that is kind of helpful. And it's acknowledging the problem, it's seeing the presence of the Savior, and then it's taking one step at a time. One step of faithfulness at a time. That's what the disciples do. So it's okay to acknowledge it. Now, when it comes to parenting, let's acknowledge it. I can't do another day. I can't do another night. I can't do another fight. I can't do this anymore. Acknowledge it. But see the presence of Jesus. He's with you. He's inviting you to participate in this moment in dependence on you. See the fact that we have a God and Father who in that moment is parenting us. Acknowledge it, see it, and then take one step of faithfulness at a time. With our work or study, it's okay to say, I can't do it anymore. I can't do another day. I can't do another moment like this. I can't deal with the stress or the pressure. Acknowledge it. But see that we have a God who's with us, who's present with you. A God who won't stop working in you. And as we see that, we take one step of faithfulness at a time, one day at a time, one exam at a time, one assignment at a time, one step of faithfulness at a time. With our relationships, I can't do it anymore. Acknowledge that. It's too difficult. It's too lonely. It's too hard. The problems are too big. But see the presence of Jesus who knows what you're going through. He knows what it is to feel the range of emotions when it comes to relationships. He knows what it's like to be alone and abandoned. He knows that and he empathizes with you. He sees you. Acknowledge it. See it. And then one step of faithfulness at a time. In our areas of our life, we find ourselves facing challenges and problems. We've got this moment where we can acknowledge it, see Jesus with us and then one step of faithfulness at a time. Now, it's so important because when we think about the life of the follower of Jesus, if we're going to step into that, the life of the follower of Jesus, it is good, but it's not easy. And we find ourselves under pressure, backs against the wall, no resources, no capacity, no ability. God may just be inviting you into a deepening dependence on Him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace to us, that you help us in our moments of difficulty where we find ourselves under pressure. We are not alone. We thank you for the reminder that there is good on offer for us in the kingdom of God and that in our present struggles, you're with us. Help us keep running this race. Help us take one step at a time. And we pray that you would give us grace in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.